Dark save for light being cast from the big TV screen and the imminent sunrise that's teasing the one starry sky with whispers of morning. Hi, George. Hi, Lions. How goes no, it? No, wait, wait, I don't like that one. I want to start over. Hey, uh, hey, 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 George. Hey, Lions. How goes it? Nah, it didn't feel good either. Hang on, wait, wait. If, if we keep just restarting, we'll eventually get the right equipment. Uh, okay. Hey, George. Hi, Beckham. Oh, so close. I got sword <laughs> I wanted, but that was not the secondary weapon I wanted. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So, yeah, no. so you gotta just just yeah. keep yeah. Here we, keep spamming here we it. Go. Hey, George. Hi, King. God amongst men. There we go. There it is. <laughs> That's when you get S level double plus stuff right at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, we like. Ooh. Um. So, hey, what do we play? We played. Uh, no, no one is going to believe that was improvised, by the way. Like, everybody's going to believe that was scripted. Oh, yeah. No. I, I, this is the part of being an artist, right, in any field, is whatever you are trying to say, like, this thing is genuine. There's always a contingent of people who are like, nah. That's, you know, that's that's fine. You don't have to believe. It's okay. We know the truth. Yep. yep. But what do we play? We played The Dead Cells, also just called mm-hmm. Dead Cells. Also known as... Uh, uh, Cell post Gohan Super Saiyan two. <laughs> we played Cell post Gohan Super Saiyan two. You had to dig deep for that joke, but I appreciated <laughs> that anyway. Um, so I have to I have to to dwell on this one thing for just a second. Um, do you play a lot of games on your phone? I mean, no, I play a game on my phone. Tetris. No. Bejeweled. <laughs> <laughs> it's you. Look, you don't know of it. I've been playing it since before it was cool. But no, it's actually it's a. But I make, make your point now, and I'll let you know if delving into the depth of what specific game I play bears on the conversation. Well, okay, so uh, we played Dead Cells, which uh, came yeah. out actually literally almost exactly a year ago. Uh, came out mm. uh, August seventh, two thousand eighteen. I knew it was recent. I didn't realize it was that recent, but that's kind of yeah, cool, pretty, right? Um, yeah. But the thing that blew me away is as I was grabbing the Wikipedia article to throw into the show notes, one of the few things that actually goes into the show notes, other than the Patreon link where you can go and support us and where you can find me Woo-hoo. on Twitter to harass us. Um, money, 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 money. Money. Nice. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I was going through the Wikipedia you know, to find the, the release date, and it lists the systems that the game is on. And mm-hmm. it's on, you know, Steam and PS4 and Xbox. And then I was like, wait a minute. In 2019, they're releasing it on Android and iOS? What psychopath <laughs> would play a game that requires controls like this on a smartphone? Like, yeah. e- even if they're ex- they're guaranteeing that people are going to play it with a controller, because you can pair a controller to a smartphone or like a, an iPad, even if they are requiring you to do that, to play the game, why would you choose that platform (laughs) to play it on? The game is not that over the top processor intensive. You can play this on pretty much any run of the mill laptop. So if, if you have to take it portable and I think it might even be on the switch. So you could play it on the switch if you had to take it portable, but 
oh my God, this would be so, so awful on a smartphone. Like I can't, I almost want to buy it just out of like sure, sheer morbid curiosity. But that is why I asked you. Cause I was like, what, what kind of soon to be mass murderer plays a game that requires controls like this on a touch screen? Well, and also too, uh, it, it requires, I don't know, like, and I guess, you know, different strokes for different folks, but this degree of focus and concentration, you know, right? like, I mean, you know, yeah, like you can play Flappy Bird, but, you know, <laughs> I mean, when you, you like, like the cycle time is really short and, you know, it's not that intensive. You're not saying they're trying to crunch numbers and swap out equipment. And I mean, this is this is a relatively intense gaming experience. I mean, like I've played it some with my son, which we'll get into. And uh, and yeah, like like there are literally times where he'll be playing and he will just hand me the controller and say like, no, no, this is all you now. Right? This has gone beyond my skill sets. And I'm like, yeah, it, 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 it really probably did a, a level ago, but good, good on you. So, so, so what is your one phone game? Oh, oh wait, 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 wait. Uh, is it chess? No. Okay. That was a safe <laughs> guess though. It was. No, that was a safe guess. No, I, I, I like living with the illusion in my mind that I'm good at chess and playing <laughs> playing chess against the computer is antithetical to that notion. Yeah, that's how I feel about speaking Kalsa. I'm sure I'd be awesome at it, but I mean, there's no reason to just rub in everyone's face how eloquently I could speak that language if I wanted to. So I'm just never, ever going to. Yes. Yes, those two things are the same. Yeah. Anyway... <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, it's a dice hunter. Is the the name of the cell phone game that I play? Mm, it's I know that one. It is now. It's 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 free. Um, it it like most free to play games kind of has a paywall. But the nice thing is that the game is mindless and enjoyable enough that if you you like, I've been playing it for like two years now and have not spent. I have spent very 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 little money on like maybe like five bucks. You know, just five um, six thousand dollars tops. No more than that. yeah. I mean. Oh yeah, definitely no more than th- what, what do they say? Three months salary, right? Um, yes. <laughs> Somewhere a mobile phone game designer was just like, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, <laughs> he just got his er- wings. Yes, wings. Um, yes. <laughs> but anyways, uh, so so yeah. So normally at this point we would say, what was your nostalgia experience? But the real question for this one that we need to ask is, how what what alerted you to this game? So this game, like I said, I knew it was recent. I didn't realize it was this recent. So I had heard people make mention of it. I had uh, gotten some reference to it in like the general background noise of the gaming community, but I didn't know what it was. Like I didn't realize it was a rogue light Metroidvania. I think they call it a roguevania. Um, mm-hmm. So I was just like, ooh beautiful pixel art i'm sure it's an interesting game and then i went back to my giant never-ending backlog of games to play and then you were like you know i've been uh i've been playing dead cells i was like oh and you're like yeah it's kind of like a metroidvania and i was like but you hate those and so that like that alone right was was (laughs) was one of those things it's you know if, if someone says like oh you hate this thing I also hate this thing except for this one, right? Because then you feel like you have some shared understanding. But mm-hmm. but then it's like, no, I love this thing and you hate this thing. 
so is this a terrible example of the thing I love? Or, <laughs> or is this such an incredible Paragon example that even you can't deny that it's bad? And that was what made me have to play it. Because I was like, well, now I need to know which one of those extremes it is. Because it's got to be one or the other. Yes. And and what I think... And so for me, my my new nostalgia experience for this was, uh, you know, again, I'm just perpetually on the hunt for games that are within the the spectrum of games literacy that my son can play them but i can also enjoy them you know because there's it's easy to find a game that you know that that teddy can play and that make me want to claw my eyes out and it's easy to find a game that that i can play that teddy can't even grasp or touch you know and it's really interesting uh you know tangent time it's really interesting (laughs) like some of the constraints that you don't even realize are in there until you start looking for it, because I'll find one where it checks all of the boxes, except text-based. And it's like, well, Teddy can't read yet. So that's, that's a no go, you know? And so, and even though this, this, this game has just bodies and bodies of text, right? (laughs) You don't need any of it to just play and enjoy the game. And the, the nice, especially on normal mode after you've, you know, gotten a bunch of the upgrades, right? And basically made the game easier. Um, that being said, some of the non-tactical or strategic choices that Teddy will make, not being able to read and differentiate between different items, breaks my heart sometimes because he will dump like <laughs> a level four double plus brutality weapon when he's been dumping everything into red because that's all he knows. He's just like, red! And, you know, for for a shield that i'm like oh no why would you do that buddy you've got like one in in survival and you don't even know how to use the shield that well i mean one time you literally chose a loadout of of ice shards and ice blast and i was like you can't you got no damage dealer son (laughs) like you got to learn these things early like you have nothing that's going to close the deal all you're going (laughs) to do is just sit there and freeze these people and you're never going to close it out and so then teddy switches to pacifist mode where he just rolls all over the level (laughs) until he finds the exit which is a surefire way to throw good money after bad because the levels are getting more and more hard and more and more complicated and he's still got his starting equipment which again is ice shards and ice blast (laughs) So I'll just like be watching this happening and just like being like, it's fine. It's fine. So like normally we do a three to one split where he takes three turns and I take one turn because that time wise kind of works out. All of that being said, I was playing that with him and I was like, this is actually, it has, it does a number of things that I just hadn't seen in another game before. And I was like, Hey, we should, uh, we should play this. And also this will confuse the hell out of lions. Cause it's a Metroidvania. Um, yeah, which I think we really need to try and work the term backtracker into the lexicon, but I mm-hmm. don't know if either of us are popular enough to make that kind of thing catch on. So what we need to do is find super famous people and incept it into their minds because you have that technology just laying around, right? Like the little box, little suitcase thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. The, the box. Yeah. I've got that. Um, it's right next to, to, the box with the the small bomb in it though and there's no real clear descriptors on it it'll be fine though. it'll be fine i'm sure yeah it works. <laughs> there, there shouldn't be anything wrong with me bringing a nondescript box into a hotel room saying that i'm looking for a famous person yeah yeah i, I see no problem with this so let's talk about the visuals um i have yeah. mixed feelings about the visuals in this game because 
everything feels lovingly crafted. It's it's all beautiful high res pixel art. Like it just I think even all of the particle effects and stuff might even all be pixel art, or if not, they tried really hard to make it look like pixel art. So it's just everything looks super retro. And I, I love if I if this is your first episode of Nostalgia Goggles, I really like this style of artwork. I gush about it a lot. The one place it falls down for me is every once in a while it will do like an artistic camera zoom. Like when you first get to a boss, it like zooms way in on the boss, right? And then it like pans back out. Um depending on the screen that I'm playing on, because I was originally playing this on my laptop, and my laptop screen is 13 inches. My television is 43 inches, right? So when you see... That's at least as big. It is. <laughs> it's it's nice size. <laughs> but when you, when you see some of these things stretched way out, and you're not sitting that far away because of the weird way my desk is set up, some of them are just rough enough around the edges that I was like, eh, like why why is that as like cornery as it is and th- this is i want to be clear this is a stylistic choice this says nothing about the quality of the artwork this is just my personal like feeling that sometimes there are corners where i don't think there should be corners but you can tell because of how highly polished all of the animations are all of the backgrounds are how varied all of the like little um, kind of atmospheric things like broken doorways and the water and like the plants that are like creeping up and like falling over candles and stuff like there's no way you would do all of that and then make things blocky because you don't know how to make them smooth they just chose in some places to make them blocky and I I just was like eh but you you cannot deny the quality of this artwork everything especially the backgrounds are just stunningly rendered really really gorgeous yeah, I, I I would agree that this is this particular style. There are definitely some areas where, yeah, it just it it does feel a little off, um, especially with like the bosses, particularly like the hand of the king, who's the last boss, you know, who he himself is very large. You know, we're just it it feels like, and I'm sure somebody smarter than me could could put a word to it, but where. I think it, it shatters the the fourth wall to a degree because they they are the way that they're making it look retro is not by actually using pixels. They're using hardware and and artistic abilities that are beyond what what they're trying to make it look like. And so when they do zoom in and do those kinds of things, it breaks that illusion where it kind of looks like a weird middle ground of like, oh well, no, this is clearly actually a three-dimensional object that is made to look pixelated as opposed to a pixelated thing that is just moving in a way. It's kind of like in a in Celeste where if you really slow it down and watch it frame by frame, um, uh, oh, what's her name? Celeste? The, the pr- protagonist. Oh, it's... Uh, is it... Mad- Madeline? Madeline. Yeah, yeah. Madeline. Because well, Madeline the, like... the evil one is Badeline battling right where she like squished down and then when she like dashes she elongates yes it, you it's know? very like warner brothers looney tunes hanna-barbera style where there's a lot of squash and stretch right so it's it's kind of like that where when you when you actually kind of stare at it you're like wait no pixel art can't do this you know but it's doing it and so i to me i agree with you that that kind of 
to me breaks that illusion a little bit. Yeah, um, it's I don't blame them for using new technology. I don't blame them for using 3D but making it look 2D, right? Like those are all again just stylistic choices, but it is it's like the the squash and stretch I think is not a bad comparison because squash and stretch is like animation 101. Like when you yeah. first learn how to like animate, you know, old-fashioned hand-drawn cartoons, that's one of the things you learn, but you're not supposed to see it at, you know, four frames per second. You're supposed to see it at full speed. And the the 3D masquerading as 2D thing is kind of the same thing. It's like the illusion is supposed to be perfect. So when the illusion is broken, you're kind of like, huh, that looks a little weird. I do think a small part of the reason they did that isn't just for the technology's sake, but it does make the baddies pop a little more out of the background which is like crucial like it's really important that you know where the baddies are so the fact that they look a little more alive and kind of mobile and flexible whereas the backgrounds are all i can't think of any exceptions the backgrounds are all completely static that helps Mm -hmm. you except maybe like candles flickering or something but like that helps you separate foreground from background and so you know do the edges look a little rough sometimes? Sure. Is it a worthwhile trade-off? Yeah, I think it probably is. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, one of the things that I uh, and this is this is something that I don't I'm not I don't think we've really spoken about too much on the show thus far. I really loved the visuals and the animation too because there's no there's there's some uh, you know there's there's some uh, dialogue right uh, there's no audio dialogue it's all written. The, the, we have a silent protagonist, though, right? Um, I he well, you get his thoughts a couple of times. Like, mm-hmm. if if you interact with certain things, you get his him thinking, like, you know, mm, whatever made this was huge or something like that. Right, but but he is like he doesn't really speak. What I really love is the characterization through the visuals of him interacting with the world around him absolutely characterizes the protagonist oh you like know? thumbs up giving the middle finger like kicking doors in instead of ever opening them with his hands yeah like i mean especially the the couple that i just remember is you know when you defeat the timekeeper right so you know like you go in and the body of text it switches all the time but on the loading screen for that one i remember saying more often than not was if this clock is even off by a millisecond that, you know, dire consequences could happen. And it really makes you think that like the clock determines the time on the Island, not the other way around, you know, like that the, yeah. Right. The the, the clock somehow is what's keeping time moving on the Island, you know? Yeah. The clock sets the time. It does not report the time. (laughs) Correct. Right. So you go in and you fight the timekeeper and he goes and he says like, all right, let's end this. And you, you, you beat him up and he goes like, this will not end well. And, the guy just shrugs, you know, <laughs> the protagonist is just like, eh. and then just like picks up, you pick up all the cells, you pick up the gold, you just move on. And it's kind of, I just, it's delightful. And the animation is so kind of over the top on it. I mean, like, and there's another time when uh, uh, one of the people in the cells that you k- try to kick in, you know, or like slam on there, he says, he says something, he goes like, you know, oh, this terrible thing will happen and you like nod emphatically and do a <laughs> thumbs up, you know? And he's like, no, that's terrible. What's wrong with you? And you're like, I don't know. You know? Like, so, 
I don't know. It just it 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 was great characterization because it kind of followed your you yourself like the player where you're just kind of you're running and gunning basically you're running around like killing all sorts of stuff and then people are like dire things are happening you're like sure whatever man i'm just here to kind of platform and kill stuff whatever you know so i i thought that that was done very well through the visual style yeah and th- this game it does something this is an indie game and it does something that a lot of indie games do which is like there's a lot of self-referential like nods to the developers like there's a few places in the world where if you read you know a thing on the wall or you examine something that he does his little you know nod and does the thumbs up but the the little thought bubble says something like you know really lazy world building guys and yeah and, and like I don't, those jokes don't always land for me. Like sometimes I think they're pretty funny, but they're, they're tough, right? It, it's a small target. You really got to nail it. And those kinds of jokes, the, the super exaggerated shrug, the funny, like thumbs up the, the, you know, giant middle finger he does whenever he's mad at something like he, he, he doesn't just like <laughs> flick you off. He like sticks his arm straight out in front of him and like, like hunkers down, like as if he's, you know, about to Kamehameha. His... I hope they can see this because I'm doing it as hard as I can. Yes, exactly like that. <laughs> and and so they, it's almost like the developers are trying to remind you, like this world is really dark and whatever happened here is really terrible, but you know, have fun with it. And, yeah, and the fact whatever. that all of the characters animations are kind of like light and springy. He even does like when you dash, he does like the Naruto run. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it's just like the the whole thing. They're just constantly casually reminding you that like the stakes aren't very high and everything's fine. And they do communicate that with character animations in a way that you're right. We haven't, re- I don't think we've ever really talked about. And I mean, now we obviously have to replay all 72 games and see if this is something that you know other developers got right i think that's the only way forward yeah i i, I would agree so we're gonna take a two and a half year hiatus <laughs> but we'll be back <laughs> with 72 new episodes Whoo! yeah because that that type of batch processing that's the way to do yeah, it you yeah. know yep. um i do <laughs> want to point out that uh, this game, and we'll we'll talk about this in, in the mechanics, I'm sure, but like this game does a weird new game plus thing, like above and beyond normal roguelike stuff. And mm-hmm. uh, part of why that's relevant to the visuals is when you play through each biome, what they call them, each level has... Which, compl- biome? Yeah, biome. That sounds like research. That sounds a lot like research. That sounds like something that you saw outside of the game. Well, I mean, <laughs> oh, did you? Where did you? Where did you get that information? From? I had to look up a couple things <laughs> because I was not willing to poke every single wall to find some of the mm-hmm. hidden keys. And I was like, mm-hmm. I need to look up like what are the right ways to start hunting for these keys, right? Because. As a nostalgia game, I think uh, the the message board context is acceptable. Just like for a nostalgia game, like chatting with a friend about it is not considered research. Oh, okay. Yeah, I mean, I didn't okay. like call up the developer and ask them, you know, like minute details. Let's not go crazy. But no, to, to be to be fair, when you said biome, I was like, oh, that that that's actually a probably good name for it. And then I felt a little bit of shame that like, I didn't know that. And then I decided instead of, you know, deciding to better myself, I just decided to completely 
rage against you for knowing something I didn't know. I thought that was that was probably the way. To Definitely go. the right call. So <laughs> each <laughs> biome is very unique, right? No two look quite alike. Even the ones that use like a similar color palette are still uh, organized very differently. Um, another thing is the way they generate each biome because it's you know it's a roguelike, so it's random every time. Even the layout is consistent biome to biome. Like this one has a lot of long hallways and this one like spiders from a cent. It's like a hub and spoke, right? And you can see that if you open up the map, you're like, oh yeah, this is always kind of laid out in sort of ish this way, right? Um, I mean, within mm -hmm. reason, it is still kind of random. But um, all of that is to say that the enemies are also with one or two exceptions, like one or two starter enemies that are in basically every every biome there's unique enemies in every single level until you beat the boss the first time and you get the boss cell and then you're playing on hard. Now there are all new enemies plus the old enemies. And for some reason, some of the old enemies are now just in other levels and, mm -hmm. and you just have to sort of make your peace with that. And that bums me out a little bit because they did the work of making a bunch of new enemies but transplanting, you know, enemy A from biome A into biome B makes them stand out in an awkward way because they're not quite the right mm. colors. They're not quite the right, like, theming, right? And, I mean, it's not the end of the world. It's really not that huge of a deal when you're already playing a game where you kind of understand at this point, like, oh, yeah, it's a lot of random insanity. But it it takes these beautiful graphics and sort of, like, forces you to notice them in a way that I don't think they were necessarily intending they wanted to mm. pair the mechanics i think of this enemy that's in biome a and that enemy that's in biome c and now dealing with them at the same time is like a whole new challenge i totally get that i really do but the fact that they visually seem out of place is a little just a little jarring in a way that that bummed me out especially because they were so thoughtful about how the enemies look and fit into their biome when you play on normal. Yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't notice that as much, but I can definitely, I would agree that that, that is something that can make that stand out because, you know, and, and at least they didn't do something where, uh, you know, they took some, something from like one of the deep dark blue biomes and put it into you know the scorching you know yellow biome or something like that you know or at least if they did then i didn't see that much of a huge yeah it, it is more I, subtle than that but it's enough that after a while i was like oh wait this guy's from that other place yeah and i did notice kind of like right away where especially uh, for me it was in the ramparts um which is the third level they throw in some bad guys from the clockwork tower uh, you know, and, and stuff like that. And basically the main thing that I picked up on it with, which was the thing that you listed, which was, oh, it is now interesting mechanically to fight these things out of the normal place. And also that if it was all just new bad guys, that would have been difficult from a cognitive load standpoint, because, you know, when the new bad guy shows up, you don't know what they do or how they act or all those. So you have to learn all of that. And so when I saw the reused bad guys, I was like, Oh, I already know what this guy does. You know, it's just, I have not seen him here before. Yeah. So I think, uh, yeah, I, I definitely visually, I think it is a little bit more jarring. I think it was probably the right call, but, uh, but yeah, that's definitely, definitely a, a drawback of doing that. Yeah. And it, it's, 
it's one of those it's it's the 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 plain white wall right with the single spot on it because the artwork is really excellent and very thoughtful throughout all the biomes and all the enemy designs all of the bosses are completely unique right there's no reuse on any of the bosses or any palette swapping or any nonsense like that anywhere in the game and so for them to say okay we designed this character to go against this background but now we want to combine their mechanics with this other enemy's mechanics in this other biome we're just going to take the hit on that it looks sort of weird visually. And you could even probably make the argument that it's like, ah, but the fact that they don't fit in really draws your attention to the fact that they're there and they shouldn't be, right? And now you're playing mm-hmm. on hard or extreme or super go kill yourself, whatever the later difficulties are called. Dunno, didn't get there. But it, it's, I think the the mechanical variety is worth the trade-off of a tiny bit of like visual discontinuity. And I suspect based on how polished the game is overall that they did not do this haphazardly, right? So to to your point, if you had 600 unique enemies and it's like, oh, this enemy moves like this other enemy, you just have to remember that, that they made them look different so that their colors fit. Like that's, that is not the right trade-off. I think you're absolutely right. That would be the wrong way to solve that problem. (laughs) Um, one of the other things that they did visually that I really um, appreciated was I felt that they had a, a number of kind of good, I thought that they did a good job varying the visual, the, the strength of the visual cue based on how much they wanted you paying attention to it. By which I mean that, you know, um, like there are tons of doors, you know, throughout the uh, the levels, right? And most of them require some number of boss cells in order to open, which is interesting mechanically, which we can get to in mechanics. But those doors, if they don't, don't, if they can open, there is a light above them that says you can open this door. And if they can't open, that's not there. You can still interact with it and knock on it and it'll say three boss cells required or go away or whatever. Get right? out of here, Lamo. So, yeah, but the nice thing about that is that, you know, once I realized that, you know, I didn't spend tons of time slamming into every single door saying, like, can I open this? Can I open this? Can I open this? Occasionally, I would just to to see how many boss cells I needed until I realized that the number of boss cells is actually on the yes, door. Yes, but it's, it's so, very subtle because if you missed that, that wouldn't be that big of a deal. But the light is very obnoxious because they don't want you to miss that. Exactly. So, and they do that in a number of different different ways. Another one was, uh, they they won't. They're, they're like when you get the the slam down power up, oh, the, or whatever the, it's the called, the ram rune or something. Ra- yeah, the yeah. ram rune. Yeah. Um, when you get that, you know, up until that point, I'd seen like these little runes, but they were, you know very kind of faded i'm like i don't really know what this is or does and i slam into a few times whatever and i got the ram rune and it, it i believe it glowed a different color but i wouldn't swear to that but it does mark it on your map yeah yep. you know yeah and it's it's, and, it's a fairly bright orange and most of the ground is usually like a, a black or a dark gray or brown so the orange pops pretty well right the orange pops pretty well i would catch it I'd say 85% of the time just playing. But then whenever I would open up my map, which I do fairly regularly um, because there is some backtracking in there and they have teleporters set up to assist with that, but we'll get into that mechanics. Um, But whenever I'd open up my map, there would be this icon, you know, there. And I'd be like, Oh, 
I should go, I can, I can interact with that. But those icons never appeared until I got the thing that I needed in order to interact with it because it was pointless information to have, you yeah. know? And so I really kind of liked that. And to me, it helped with the Metroidvania portion of it because, you know, as I wasn't constantly being beset with all this, like, oh, you can't go here. Nope, you can't go here. Nope, you can't go there. But then once I get this new thing, I'd be like, oh, my gosh, this is like a thing that can happen. And then the world got bigger, you know, like right when I got that, because then all of a sudden it'd be like, oh, hey, just so you know, these are areas where you can interact with this. And you're like, oh, wow. I didn't even know that that stuff was there before. And now look at how much more depth there is to each of these levels. I, I will say, hilariously, my counter example, because I, I completely agree with you that that was a thoughtful way to do that instead of being like, okay, now you've got the super bombs, go into every room and set off a super bomb and see what happens, right? Like that's can be very frustrating in Metroidvania games in Backtrackers. Um, so I, I like that they were thoughtful about it in this game, particularly that that spot's not always going to be there. As soon as you die, that world doesn't exist anymore. So like they're trying to balance out discovery and not just having to poke every wall to see what happens. The glaring counter example is the, the spider rune that lets you run up walls because mm -hmm. there's no way to hide a gigantic shaft with no platforms that you obviously need to be able to wall jump to get up. And so yes. that is a thing that I know I had to look up on a message board because the runes are only available in specific. This is probably where I learned the word biome. The runes are only available in specific biomes. And after, I don't know, my 30th run, I was just like, okay, okay. Obviously I get something that either allows me to wall jump or run up walls or shoot a grappling hook or friggin' something because there is no way they would just r allow the random gen. This isn't no man's sky. They're not going to just, <laughs> they're not going to just allow it to randomly generate a gigantic vertical shaft that is impossible for me to go up. And, uh, after certain biomes, the, you know, you can go like to the left biome or the right biome. Like when you're leaving the, where the collector is, and after, I can't remember which one, but after one of the biomes, the right biome is always one that requires the spider climb. And so... Yes, yeah, the slumbering village. There's still village and the yeah, other the one. Slum slumbering sassafras. Sanctuary. Um, ooh, it might be slumbering sanctuary. Yes, it is, because I, I like that one. Um, and still village can <laughs> just go... Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> so... Um, but yeah, so that, that was something that I, I just, I was like, okay, there's an obvious visual cue here of like, you could go here if you had the right thing. And they don't mark that one on the map because it's just a giant, it's obvious. Like it's obvious, in, right. it's inherent to the map that there's a giant vertical shaft over there. So like, I agree with you that they were very thoughtful about not making you set off super bombs in every room just to see what happens with this one hilarious counter example. But I mean, what were they going to do? Like... There's no way they could just be like, oh, well, if you if you run and jump really hard, then you could go up there. Like, that'd be stupid. Like, you need to have the spider climb. Right. And I mean, and even then, there's there's no point that they really make you, like you said, go like, you know, oh, I have this new ability. Now I have to go try it on, you know, I have to put a bomb against every wall. Um, <clears throat> and that would be antithetical to the overall gameplay because uh, it's timed you know, which is a very specific mechanic that we'll get into in mechanics. Um, but yeah, so I thought that that, that was a, a very nice, there were a number of nice, clean visuals in that, in that area where, where 
at no point did I feel like I was struggling to make heads or tails of the environment. You know, I always very cleanly knew what I could interact with, what I couldn't interact with, and what each thing did. And that's not something that's easy to pull off in a game. Well, particularly a game where there, because this, I don't know if I've ever heard of another game quite like this, where it's like, oh, you get additional ways to explore the world. So the world needs to have other places to explore, but only if you have those abilities, but also it's randomly generated. So sometimes those things are there in abundance. Sometimes they're there in scarcity. Sometimes they're not there at all, but there's like a certain balance that they have to strike. And it it shows how visually thoughtful they were. And I mean, the engine that must drive it, but how visually thoughtful they were about how do we communicate this information and make it like enticing and exciting and not mind-numbingly frustrating where you're constantly like, I want to go over there. Like, I want to go over there and you're not letting me, right? Like, they have to right. actually reduce quite a bit the amount that you use your like traversal power-ups because if they were just constantly in your face, you would constantly be annoyed by it. So it's 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 really quite well executed. Um, I want to contrast that with... Uh, what I have listed in my notes as visual noise. <laughs> so uh, around yes. the time you're getting powerful, depending on how good of a player you are, I guess, around the time you're getting powerful enough to beat uh, the Hand of the King, and then when you start playing on hard and you have a bunch of power-ups unlocked, your traps are higher levels, you have some of the crazy powers that are higher levels and stuff, um, there is a lot of crap going on on the screen at any given moment. And if you ended up in a weird place where you've like mixed, you haven't optimized your, like uh, your, your element, I guess there can be mm -hmm. just an unholy number of particle effects on the screen at any given moment. Yep. Because I had a, uh, a thing where enemies froze when they died and froze nearby enemies. Mm -hmm. So it was doing that like ice explosion effect. But then mm -hmm. I had a trap that made enemies burn when they died. And then I was wearing an amulet that created a poison cloud when I took damage. And on hard, mm -hmm. the game is fairly hard for a player of my game's literacy. So there, eh. there were, uh, for my game's literacy, not yours, <laughs> champion. So, but there were a lot of times, admitted it was Teddy. You just watched him. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, I, and, and he was blind. <laughs> But there were a lot of times where I would be in like a a tense encounter and would be starting to lose the thread because there was just so much visual information. Just like, like oh, there's a green cloud and this white flash and everything's on fire. And I can see like the trail from my sword and the, tr you know, their tells, the enemy tells, which thank God those exist. But like the enemy tells are flashing all over the place, trying to, you know, help me know what to do and parry or dodge roll. Like it wasn't always helpful. I was like, I feel powerful, but I also feel like the amount of visual clutter that this creates actually hampers my ability to use all of these powers effectively. Yes. I would definitely agree that that is true. Um, that didn't bother me. And I actually kind of liked it for, for two reasons. One is that there would literally be sometimes where, you know, if I had, you know, a a 
a whatever like the sinew slicer or a, a deployable skill right so you have a deployable skill that like leaves a trail of fire you know <laughs> and then you yourself have you know something that freezes things and then there's a, po- a poison cloud and then uh you have something that enemies burn when they die and then another thing where enemies also admit a toxic cloud when they die like you know so it's just like what and there's a, an area with like four or five clustered bad guys and two of them are bad guys that spawn other bad guys right so you just oh oh and the enemies uh enemies spawn biters when they die so now there's other moving yes. things that are helpful not harmful which is also like visually confusing <laughs> yes yeah so basically whenever that would happen right you know and i'd see like a cluster of like bad guys be like Let's do this. I would just go in, hit L2 and R2 immediately, and then just start just mashing like crazy. Being like, just everybody dies. And and so the fact that to me, it was just kind of like when you walk in and just a smoke cloud happens. And then, you know, <laughs> you walk out and like you're bloodied and beaten a little bit, but like everybody else is dead, you know? So that, I mean, like I said, like it just put me into a particular type of frenzy. That also being said, and this is mechanics, but now it's just as good as a good time to mention as any, is um, if I had that type of situation going on, and then I decided to try my hand at a cursed chest, <laughs> right? It completely changed the way I would approach combat, and cursed chests in general changed this, because I knew that... You know, when I would go in guns blazing like that, I was absolutely going to win that encounter. You know, they weren't going to deal with me so much damage all of a sudden that I was going to drop, you know, but I would definitely get hit. And so if I was cursed, then all of a sudden I'd be like, I can't afford to have 50 different particle effects going on at once. So I'd like jump in, toss down my two deployable skills and then run away, you know, and then just kind of be like, let's just see how all of that plays out. And then I'll determine what my next step is, you know, did did you... Um, did you often get side note? Did you often go for cursed chess? Because I tried maybe a dozen and the first several I died really bad. And then eventually mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, okay. I, I can do this. I can do this. And then after, I don't know, the fourth or fifth or sixth one where I successfully completed the curse, I was like, this is never worth it. This is never worth it. This is just <laughs> bragging rights. I have nowhere near a fragile enough ego that I'm going to let this trash talking chest make me <laughs> risk my entire run. Um, I, 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 do. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I used curse chest in a very discriminating way, which was I would only use them if I had gotten to the point where I had hit a cursed chest and my loadout was so poor that I felt that the only way for me to have a good run was for me to chance the cursed chest. You know, that's fair. Where I was like, where I was like, I'm already dead two stages from now if I can't (laughs) get better equipment. So I might as well just roll the dice and see if I can either end, end it sooner rather than later or get good equipment. And then sometimes, you know, you, you, you say hit me and you go bust because I would be cursed when the cursed chest would pop out an item. I'm like, this is completely antithetical to my current loadout. So <laughs> so even if I survive the curse, I'm still screwed two levels from now. Um, and yeah, no, I still remember when it kicked out that thing. I'm like, this is completely, completely useless for me. Thank you, cursed chest. You you are the living worst. But yeah, so I, I was... I, I'd say about 85% of the time I wouldn't chance it, but there were definitely some times where I was like, eh, sure. Or, or if, if like, you know, I had to go do something, I'd be like, <laughs> well, let's see how this plays out because this is either going to end my run right now and then I can just go do whatever I need to do or 
I'll save and quit with even better equipment. You know, I, I want to make sure I at least uh, toss a mention to uh, the subtle world building that is done essentially through artwork in the background, because there's a lot of world building that is done essentially through artwork in the background. And you can interact with a lot of this subtle world building where it's like, oh, there's a bunch of alchemy stuff over here. And if you look at it, you know, you get like a smarmy comment or you read a letter from the king to the alchemist or you see like all of the there's sometimes I don't think it's always there, but sometimes you can see like the room in the clock tower where all the swords are that the timekeeper literally then uses during the fight. Right. And there's all these just little, like before the, on your way to the conjunctivitis boss fight, um, you can see larger and larger holes smashed in the wall. And if you examine them, the player character gets increasingly concerned that the same creature could possibly be making these small holes and giant holes in the wall. And so there's, there's not a ton of story. The game's story is pretty light, but the world building is fairly deep and it's done in such a way where you're constantly like, tell me more. Like, how did we even end up here? Why are we on this horrible Island? What is, is the world outside of this Island also magical and full of horrible monsters? Or is it like Seinfeld out there, but you know, dead cells in here, right? There's, you're just constantly sort of like, Ooh, tell me more, tell me more. And they just drip it out to you in a way that's interactive, right? They don't just shove it in your face, but you have to like notice these little things in the beautiful artwork backgrounds and then interact with them and, and see what little bit of additional information you can glean from that. Mostly it's useless, right? Mostly it's just to make the world feel more alive. It doesn't really change the way you play or you don't get anything most of the time, but it's, I think for a game like this, the kind of story they wanted to tell, the kind of world they wanted to build, this is a fantastic way to make you sort of like slow down because there's so many elements that we'll, we'll talk about in mechanics that like are, are like, go faster, do this faster, like ignore everything, just blaze right through and you would miss all of this world building if you didn't stop and smell the roses. So I, there's like this push and pull or this, uh, yeah, push and pull where it's like, do I want to play this way, but sort of have motion blur where I don't see most of what's going by me at a thousand miles an hour? Or do I want to slow down and see the world and collect more cells and elongate my run? Right. So they, they sort of, um, they kind of accommodate either play style and, and baking it into the visuals with a silent protagonist, I think is a smart way to do it. Yeah, I would agree with that. And also, too, I think that the way that they um, add add that is unobtrusive, you know, because you could literally play the entire game and just never, never deal with any of that. If that's not if you're not here for any type of narrative, any type of world building, you don't have to be it. You know, it's not like they're going to the only times when they um, I, I think literally there's only one time that I can think of where they force some amount of narrative on you and that's when you fight the timekeeper and he literally says two things you know and he's like he says like you know let's end this and this won't end this well. won't end well yeah that's it you know and so uh so yeah but aside from that you can just blaze through all that you don't even need to touch it you don't even need to think about it right which again um you know for me is nice because you know teddy loves this game he has no idea what all's going on with the world and he doesn't <laughs> care you know because he can't, can't read um but like i think it's interesting uh so yeah so I, I like how basically they're like we're gonna build out narrative is not going to be a core aesthetic to this game 
but it's there if you want to dip your feet in it and you know kind of kind of enjoy that then here it is and if not then never never come to this well <laughs> it is not a problem so uh do you have any other notes on visuals all right nah audio here, here's my my segue for you um i feel like the visual cues of enemy is about to murder house you are really excellent and the audio cues of what is happening like has a bomb been dropped has a you know a freeze effect or a burning effect or a poison effect or anything else like been triggered uh supplement that in a way that as the combat gets more frantic are increasingly necessary they're not you Mm -hmm. could play this game on silent or mute if you really wanted to but you would be missing some genuinely helpful audio information about particularly what is happening in common. I mean, that's mostly all the game is, but you don't need audio to explore, but you do benefit tremendously from audio in combat situations. Yes, I agree completely. And actually that's kind of some of my main notes uh, surrounding that is like, uh, you know, you've got a, what was it? Um, the, the the two that were the most stark for me was one is when your cool skills stop like when they have finished cooling down they make a very distinct noise they'll let you know like hey the skill is now usable again which i used all the time because you don't have time to sit there and look down at your skill cooldown when everything is going to pot well especially against like elites and bosses where you need to deploy the skill multiple times during the encounter but also you're still in the encounter and can't ignore them trying to murder you exactly but to me the biggest one that when i realized it was happening i was like oh my god this is so amazing is the critical sound effect oh my god did i i it, it every <laughs> weapon that you have makes a different noise when you're when you crit versus when you don't huh yes okay yeah no actually this is this is one you should definitely go back and double check um because uh, did you ever use the um, the infantry? I think it's the infantry bow, the one that crits when you're really close to people. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So try like you know it, it works with any of them, but also the other one that I use uh, is really easy to do is the oh I forget what it's called. But it's like the vengeance sword, where basically every time you take damage, you crit for a little bit. Was oh, that the friend the spite sword? sword? I think it's the spite sword mm. or something. Spite something. Yeah. Anyways, There's but a lot of equipment in this game. <laughs> yes. Yes, there is. But all that being said is that, yeah, when you hit hit somebody, it'll make that, the normal swish, swish, swish sound. But then you crit, it makes like a harder noise. You know, so I could you could tell when you're critting versus when you're not. Now, apparently, a negative side is that it is a little, uh, I guess, occluded, you know, so... Clearly, you know, if if so far out of our sample population, 50% of the people were picked up on it, that's not ideal. But that being said is I used that all the time because it would let me know whether or not I was I was meeting the requirements to crit, you know, which well, and sometimes made I, a pretty stark. I difference. would say that this the reason I may not have noticed this as like being a thing I needed to care about compared to some of the other sound effects that I took very clear notice of is if you were using equipment where making that equipment crit is like, that's the strategy for that sword or that whatever, like then you, you would need to learn sort of like, Oh, I did the thing right, right. Like parrying 
with the shield mm-hmm. makes a parry noise and it pops the word parry onto the screen in tiny letters, which is almost hilariously unnecessary, but it, <laughs> it because you, you can clearly see if you successfully parried and it says parry and it's just, it's weird. But um, <laughs> if you're using a loadout where it's like, Oh, you, if you, you know, roll behind them and stab them in the back, then you'll crit. Or if you, you know, every third swing is a crit. So you need to get into a rhythm of like one, two, crit, one, two, crit, right? Like if if you're playing that style, then you're more likely to care about the crit noise. Whereas I know I had at least a couple of blueprints unlocked that did like fancy things for criticals, but I tended not to rely on them. So I wasn't hearing that information in a way that altered my play style. So I probably mm. was like, oh, I, I credited with this weapon, but it, because it didn't make me behave any different, I didn't need to take note of it, right? Whereas if it's mm. like, oh, I need to do one, two crit, one, two crit or whatever, then I would have to care about the visual and the sound effect that backed up that play style. Yeah, it's it's kind of a high-pitched ting. So yeah, go back and, uh, and just, you know, for whatever weapon, you know, just try try hammering it. Because some of them... Especially for the uh, the melee weapons, they don't they don't crit at all, you right. know. So uh, so yeah, so but yeah, go check that out because that was one that you know, like I said, I used I used pretty regularly. But they so but all that being said, they are constantly feeding you audio information, and I think that you made a very apt point, which was uh, you could play this game with the sound off, like it is it is playable. There is no audio cue that like requires then user input, but. I would say that that would make the game substantially harder. Oh yeah. And and less enjoyable because one of the other things that I think is important in the audio is uh, the music in this game is as varied as any of the visuals. All right? Every biome has its own little melody and they feel not just varied but thematically super appropriate, right? When you get to the is it High Castle, right? When you get to High Castle, mm-hmm. that music is like charging you onwards, right? Oh it, yeah, you're just like, yeah, I'm, I'm almost there. Like, I'm, I'm almost to the end, and and you just want to like blast through that level. But it's the longest biome because you have to go through the doors and get the keys, and like, just takes for freaking ever. And but it's good. Like, it's really an exciting stage. It's visually so different because everything looks nice, whereas everything else is like decrepit or haunted or worse. And you, you have music that's so well paired with all of the visuals in terms of just literally they feel like they go together but also they kind of set the emotional tone right like oh this is the creepy fishing village and like oh this is the you know the gross toxic sewers and one of the things i love about indie games in the modern era particularly is uh they almost always release their soundtracks on the internet so if you like this music and I like this music, you can find the soundtrack and stream it on like Spotify or Google play music or YouTube or whatever. And so uh, when we first started playing this game, I was traveling a bunch for work. And so I was often in situations where I was either playing with the sound off or so low that it might as well have been off. And I was like, I know I am missing all of this beautiful music. (gasps) I bet the soundtrack is online. (laughs) So I just started listening to it while I was working. Nice. Nice. And yeah, I, I also, you know, to, to follow up the, the music is spectacular and very thematically appropriate. Like the stilt village where it's like a, an old fishing, decrepit fishing village, you know? Um, and, uh, and on, 
the, the other thing is, you know, in each loading screen, they have, you know, kind of some world building that, you know, you could totally ignore or get on board with. But like one of them for Stilt Village, there's a couple of them that I really enjoy. Like uh, it used to take weeks for the docks to smell that bad, you know, <laughs> or uh, or is that is that spell normal? You know, like stuff like that. So it really gets the idea of like it's this rotting, fetid place. But it's got kind of like a very like pirate, not shanty, but, you know, it definitely feels like something that you could potentially hear while on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride at Disney. Yeah, you know? it's I, I also wish I was capable of describing this in a way that didn't make us sound like idiots. But <laughs> there's there's <laughs> there's a certain um, like instrument palette that they're relying on. There's a certain um, like here's a here's a good example most of the songs and even some of the just sound effects use uh choir like wordless um just like vocalizing uh a lot of like deeper men's notes but i think it's it sounds like it's a four part choir um and it like when you grab a scroll it like makes the glass shattering sound and then when you hold it up it goes like mm-hmm. oh right and and a lot yep. of the musical pieces also have choir parts like that in them where it's just vocalizing i don't think they're saying anything if they are it's either made up or like latin or something where it's, it's not meant to be identifiable it's made up yeah, yeah i mean there's <laughs> latin there's no way that was real um I mean, who speaks that nowadays scientists. Um, but <laughs> Barely. there's uh they're not intending even if it is a real language with real lyrics they're not intending for you to be singing along right but right. they're including voices in a world that feels very and when i say voices i mean like as instruments uh in a world that's very empty and threatening when it comes to other things that are alive and could potentially have a voice right the only friendly things you deal with are the collector which you know that dude is not on your side and then the uh the 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 what would you call him the blacksmith i guess the guy who works in the forge Mm -hmm. and then the the like mutations mutant that's it like everybody else is trying to murder you always murder you so hearing these like haunting voices as part of the music kind of it's it's like oh those are like the haunting cries of like other dead prisoners or like this is the battle cry of like somebody who's coming to stab me in the face right like it's it, it makes the world feel alive to have music that includes literally voices especially in a game where there's no there is no spoken part, right? All it's all all done through text. So I, I once I noticed like, oh, there's choir not just in the music but also in the sound effects. I was like, good, good. I like that. Good, good, good. Yeah, that's one of the other things. Is yeah, it's the um, there's this the blacksmith that runs the forge. Um, there's the guy who retools your weapon yeah, his, or whatever. His, like, assistant. Yeah, his assistant, right? And what I really love is that his assistant has a whetstone or a a, a, a wet wheel or whatever. Uh, you know? I think whetstone's no, the right it's term for that. Yeah, it's a, it no, it's a grindstone. Grindstone, right? He's got a grindstone, and it was like a. And you know, if you go and you look at it, the, the character says a grindstone to reforge a bow or a magic item. I don't know. Seems like sloppy, sloppy game design. <laughs> I just I, I and that's kind of like to the tongue and cheek stuff that you were talking about before, but yeah, no, the the music is really really spot on. And then just one thing that we we kind of alluded to, and I, I, you effectively touched on, but just to to 
give it one quick touch, which is the not only are there tons of audio cues for how you're interacting with the world, but there are tons of audio cues for I, th I think pretty much every bad guy or the vast majority of them have s not only a visual uh, telegraph, but an audio telegraph as well. It, you know, especially which is the a, earlier enemies. Especially the earlier enemies, and especially the ranged enemies, mm -hmm. the ones that aren't the aren't going to melee attack you. The one that just I, I almost can't hear some of the background music without hearing the enemy telegraph <laughs> audio cue in it is those uh, priest-looking guys big, that can fire energy. Yes, and it goes like... Yeah. Pew, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that. Like, I can't hear the Rampart music <laughs> without hearing that just constantly in the background, you know? But, uh, but yeah, I mean, so they've got that as well. So if, especially, I never, at no point did I get hit or um, take damage to where I felt like, oh, that came out of nowhere. There was no way for me to prepare for that. You know, which I think is, uh, you know, I think is very important. But uh, that's pretty much what I had for for audio. Yeah, I'm I'm good to to go into controls and mechanics. Um, I have one just quick comment about controls, just because this was a weird experience for me. Um, it was a 2D game for all intents and purposes, and that means you could, if you are a sane person, use the D-pad, or if you are a crazy yep. person, you could use the analog stick. And I am not a crazy person, or at least I try not to be. So when I first started playing this, I was playing... If, if you were a crazy person, how would you know? Oh, my God. <laughs> um, so when I first started playing this, I was playing on my laptop, which I have paired with my uh, old PlayStation 3 controller. And I was like, ooh, yeah, this D-pad is perfect for this. This feels great. And then I uh, <clears throat> recently came into a gaming PC... And it's Windows, so it's easier to use an Xbox controller than to use a PlayStation controller. I know you can use a PlayStation controller. I've just been too lazy to pair it yet. Please don't harass me on the internet. But the Xbox 360 controller famously has the crappiest D-pad ever made. It's so bad that I actually, for the last, you know, like few days that we were playing this game, actually had to force myself to play it with the analog stick because I would rather use a control I am unfamiliar with than a familiar control that sucks. <laughs> so, so, okay. So just to be clear, the, the D-pad was so bad that you had to completely change the way that you were playing, but not quite that all of that discomfort and frustration over a fair period of time was not quite enough not quite beyond the threshold to get your lazy ass together and figure out to configure the playstation controller and use that oh no i mean i'll get there <laughs> no th this is not sustainable long term i cannot i cannot continue to play games that require or i would prefer to use the d-pad and use the xbox 360 d-pad because it's it's just the worst and we can move on from this, but it's just the worst. <laughs> and 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 also too, I didn't mean to call you lazy before. You were a very diligent, hardworking individual. Aww. But uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, sometimes I'm just like, you know, we we give each other garbage, but then at some point I'm just kind of like, hey, you, you know, we're still friends. <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, so okay, so so for, first and foremost, let's talk about the the different weapon types, styles. Okay, so there's just there's so much equipment right in this game uh and it all behaves very differently so there's three main kind of flavors of equipment there's brutality tactics and survival but basically 
swords, bows, and shields, you know, or, or sword melee ranged and the one I just used. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think the audience just learned everything they need to know about your play style. <laughs> Well, okay. All right. And I don't know if we've ever discussed this, and this is a bit of a tangent, but here's here's the reason why I always opt for glass cannon instead of like walking tank, you know, that deals no damage, right? Is because, okay, so let's say that I've got 100 hit points, right? Like me and the bad guy both have 100 hit points and we both deal, you know, 10 DPS, right? Then it will take 10 seconds for us to hammer away at each other and for one of us to expire right now if we both have 10 hit points and deal 100 dps right then we will clash and in one second one way or another that battle will suck <laughs> itself right so it is more time efficient <laughs> to go dps than it is to build a tank that, that takes forever to slog through anything i am really confident in my math that <laughs> overall people who play dps based characters have shorter cycle times and get through games faster than tank characters assuming that there is a solid like game that that you know gameplay being neutral like you know skill level yeah being a well balanced game right so, so, so i for me because i know <laughs> cycle time if you like that's going to be on your tombstone right you're your autobi your autobiography <laughs> will be titled cycle time like this is a thing that is deeply important to you and i almost never go out of my way to throw this into my notes because i'm like george will bring up the cycle time <laughs> george won't shut the hell up about no, it. i mean it's a super important part of game design but it's like i don't like I don't have to call you in the morning and be like, "Did you eat?" Right? Like I know, <laughs> I, I know you'll you won't go too long without remembering to eat because eventually you'll die and you like to be alive, right? So, yeah, and I won't go too long without mentioning cycle time because I'll die and I like being <laughs> exactly. Alive. It's a weird gypsy curse, but what are you gonna do? So, <laughs> so the the thing that I have been considering, particularly playing this game, but it, this it extrapolates to a lot of other game styles, is. When I'm thinking about, do I want to deal a lot of damage or do I want to be able to soak a lot of damage? The question it comes down to for me is, how good am I at not taking damage? Because on normal, I eventually got to the point where I was just like laying enemies out. Like I I was the threat to the island, right? I could go through whole biomes and like not even take damage for a while. You you weren't locked in there with them. They were locked in yes. there with you. Like the game was, <laughs> you know, had just become the Rorschach story. And, but then when I would go up to hard and I mean, granted it didn't start out that way, but then like when I would go up to hard, I would actually have to change up my playstyle because I, it was like, I can't kill this enemy fast enough that I'm able to risk them hitting me because if they hit me, it's going to ruin everything right whereas on normal i had found a balance that worked for my skill level where i was like okay i can roll in i can do this i can do that and then they're dead and then i can roll on out of there right but when you go up to hard like obviously the same tactics don't work because that wouldn't be a very interesting game right so for me dps is all about can i kill them fast enough for my skill level 
regarding how much damage they're going to deal because sometimes like you take the hit because that is the tactically advantageous thing to do but on hard it is almost never the strategically advantageous thing to do because when <laughs> one enemy does 50% of your life in a single blow it's like well i only get to make that decision once because i i can't <laughs> choose to get hit again i will die right well and so the way and again my uh not to to take this too far and, and detract from the game but this is the kind of stuff that i that math that i chug and and dink around with regularly so so just indulge me so the idea then right is that like let's say in any given encounter right because the way i look at it is is what's your error rate right so you make let's assume that if you played perfectly you would never get hit right fair yeah i mean that's okay. how, that's how Teddy so, plays right when only when he's blindfolded for some reason being able to see really throws this game off he's a he's nervous visually (laughs) i like the idea that when he's blindfolded he's playing like some like 50 year old stage master and you take his blindfold off and he goes right back to being a four-year-old you know he's just like (laughs) button mashing like a madman but okay so let's say when you play the game perfectly right there's no there you, you take no damage right so then Error rate can be measured in units time, right? I typically make an error. Yeah, yeah. Every X, yeah. Okay, no, go ahead. I see where you're going. (laughs) (laughs) Every X seconds, right? So therefore, right, is if you have more hit points, right, but you do proportionally less damage, right, then all you've done is elongate that battle, right? Because if that battle went from taking five seconds to taking 50 seconds and you make an error once every 2.5 seconds, you've gone from making two errors to 20 errors, right? So therefore, right, it is that the the battle would end approximately the same way. It would just take longer. The only way and, would and have bigger numbers and have bigger numbers. But yeah, so then the the idea would be is that the only reason to have more hit points is is if during that elongated encounter you are lowering the rate at which you make errors. All that being said is that the point is you want to take it out of the hit point domain and put it into the time domain, <laughs> right? And that's. <laughs> so you have to you have to have conversion factors right to to get from from hp to units time and i said all of that to say i really liked the different items that they had in this game i thought <laughs> what's the exchange rate accommodated what's the exchange rate of stanley nichols to shirt bucks what's the exchange rate of unicorns and leprechauns <laughs> but uh but anyways no i, I did think that um that the the items did accommodate a, a large number of playstyles, and because of it's a roguelike, and because the the equipment is not only is the equipment that you get generated, but the quality of the equipment is equipment is randomly generated, mm-hmm. right? So I may have an item that I absolutely love, but it's a one one plus, and then I come across one that I'm like eh, kind of lukewarm about, but it's a eight two plus, you know, and I'm like, well. I, I now need to figure out how to be better at using this weapon because this is clearly the superior option. I mean, that's obviously a, a hyperbolic example, but you know, I, I can't tell you. And, and this is a tangent of that. The fact that they pause the game when you're chugging that math is super important, right? Because I definitely spent a number of time in treasure rooms, literally just like going like, just staring at the loadout being like, 
I'm way more skilled with this loadout, but darn, if this isn't like a, also a decent loadout and probably better, again, can I get better at this? And so it forces you, the player, to get better at the game because it really incentivizes you not getting into the exact same rhythm and the exact same play style over and over again. It's it's nearly impossible. Well, and, and you you are tiptoeing possibly unknowingly around a mechanic that was definitely an intentional choice. And definitely once someone on a message board shattered this glass for me, I was like, damn it. Because <laughs> you, th- this game in true roguelike fashion, uh, you can't really like cheat with your saves. If you really want to mm-hmm. like, if you're playing on PC, you can go in and like copy your save files and like, dick around with it but like don't don't do that like don't don't suck all the fun out of the game yes yeah, right it's way more time consuming yeah, right like just either get better at the game or enjoy your the skill level you're at but like don't don't do that um but one of the the things that i realized is that i had spent a lot of cells unlocking things that sucked and i hated and are terrible yep. and everyone who likes them is wrong and is playing the game wrong but once they're unlocked they're unlocked forever and because items mm-hmm. are now randomly generated or randomly, you know, s- sprinkled throughout the world. That means that now this piece of crap you will never ever use is ruining the random generation. And so I saw someone on a message board literally say the correct way to play this game is to play all the way through normal and unlock everything, figure out what you like, delete your save, start over, and only <laughs> unlock the things you like so that the frequency they come up will be like nearly 100%. And I was like, yep. that's that's not quite save scumming. Like, that's not quite cheating the game. But the only way to learn what things you like and what things you don't is to introduce them into your life permanently. And... Mm-hmm. I don't think that that was an accident. I think that they did that on purpose. I'm not surprised that they didn't build in a mechanic that's like pay a hundred thousand gold to delete this item forever because they're like you can pay to shuffle what's in the store. You can pay to change your mutations mm-hmm. on a given run. So like they clearly thought about those kinds of mechanics. But once you unlock a blueprint, it's unlocked forever. You just have to freaking deal with it. And there are so so many blueprints like the Nutcracker that I would just. get out of my life forever to the point where I seriously considered before I beat the game the first time or, you know, normal difficulty, I seriously considered actually restarting to get some of this crap out of my life. Yep. But no, and, and, and you could theoretically do that, but uh, no, I, what I kind of caught wise to that um, later than I would have liked, but earlier than never, (laughs) um, which, which was, you know, after I unlocked like, two or three things that were just i did not care for at all right um i did become a lot more careful with what i unlocked so i if it was a mutation i'd be like yeah sure because you can just pick those you know um but whenever like there were there were some grenades that i never unlocked like i had the the blueprint form and it was like one of them was like roots an enemy to the ground i'm like could not possibly care less about that you know that's what the wolf traps for just get nope and so I just, I never unlocked it. Um, and then, so what I would end up spending cells on, which I think is, and I don't know when, when this happened. So first thing I did was I, you know, spent all my cells to get the maximum amount of gold carryover and all the stuff that makes it a yeah, real light. Uh, the the uh, permanent upgrades. Right. So blew all my cells on that. Right. 
And then um, at some point, and I'm not sure exactly when, you know, like you, 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 and I want to believe, I just want to clap my hands and believe that it's from the beginning and they're just screwing with you, which is you don't have to spend all of your cells every time you talk to that weird creepy dude. The collector. And yes, you know, it like, is from the beginning. From the word go, you can yes. just roll right through the door without spending your cells. <laughs> yep. That is... That is spectacular because it's like, you know, I go up to the door. It's like, oh, you got to spend all of your cells. I'm like, yeah, okay, go back, spend all my cells. And then at just some point, I just slammed through that door. And I was like, oh, I can knock this down, you dick. <laughs> and then just, <laughs> and then I never spent another cell on something that, you know, I didn't really, I wasn't, I never spent any more time on anything that I wasn't passionate yeah. about. No, you, you know, like, because once you I just, don't have to empty your pockets every time you walk past a store, you become like a friggin' hermit essentialist. You're just like, I'm only going to spend money on things I want. And then if I lose all my money, it doesn't matter because I was going to lose it all anyway. <laughs> Right. And so that's the thing. But then that creates a very interesting mechanic, which is that, you know, now all of a sudden, as opposed to being able to lock your cells in every level, you only lock them in every four levels because you only lock them in when you have a boss and then you go to the forge and can spend your cells there. So as opposed to like when I died, I sometimes I'd lose like 15 cells. I'm like, eh, you know, what are you going to do? You win some, you lose some, whatever. Um, as opposed to now when like I'd be typically fighting the boss with you know 125 cells in my pockets and i'd be like don't die don't die don't <laughs> die don't die and then a couple of times you know i like because megan's sitting beside me playing civilization six which is a good game uh she'd be sitting beside me playing that and she and she like here like oh come on <laughs> and then <laughs> and she'd be like what i'm like no it's fair it's fine it's just he did a couple of things in quick succession that he doesn't normally do. And it's, it's okay. It's okay. I just, I lost a hunt. I lost a lot of money in the casino tonight and I'm just not too happy. But we're going to bounce back. We're going to be fine. We're going to be fine. Yeah. Teddy's close. Still fit, right? fine. This is fine. Yeah, this is okay. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, so I thought that that was an interesting mechanic. I, I want to talk about the, the timing and, and how you're being timed constantly. Um, but, but yes. before we do, I just want to, uh, make sure I at least casually mention um, this game. It totally sounded like you were about to do an ad right there. But before <laughs> we do, I'd like to do a shout out to Blue Apron. <laughs> Have you tried Blue Apron? It's the greatest way to order food and cook it for yourself, but pay more money for it. So I listen to a lot of podcasts. Um, I do think it's funny the ads that have completely gone out of style and the ones that have like stood the test of time. Like, Every human being on Earth has at least two or three Squarespace sites, yet I still hear commercials for Squarespace <laughs> because they must still be working. And then there's all mm -hmm. these like Silicon Valley BS startups nobody gives a crap about. You know they're going to flame out, but you hear about them on every single podcast for like six months. And then one day you're just like, huh, I haven't heard a Blue Apron ad in a while. <laughs> <laughs> it's like that company is either gone or is on its way out and can no longer afford podcast advertisements or they i don't know because i honestly the only reason why i know blue apron is still around is because death battle uh is sponsored by them semi-regularly and they still mm. i still i still see you know and which is weird because it's a YouTube video. So it's like, you know, all right, before we get into this amazing death battle between, you know, Goku like and Link Superman and 
yeah, between Goku and Superman, between Link and Cloud, Link wins. Um, <laughs> suck it. But anyways, suck it, both hands. Before we get into <laughs> before we get into this epic battle, would you like to hear something for Blue Apron? It's like, yes, I would like to track this video two minutes into the into the future and not listen to any yes. of this. Skip, Thank skip, you. Skip, Moving skip, on. Skip and death battle. No, but. <laughs> The thing yep. I'm not going into an ad, not yet. But the the uh. thing that I, I just want to mention, this game uh, did really well for me personally. Uh, this game did a really good job of making me feel fancy. There were times like once I got the controls down and I sort of understood the play style that worked for me, and I got you know decent at the dodge roll, and I got you know uh, like oh this loadout lets me play in a way where I can be like fairly aggressive, right? There were a lot of times where I would do stuff where I would literally pause and turn to Susan and just be like, did you, did you see that? Did you see how impressive of a badass I am? Right. That's when you have those moments where you're like, they're not locked mm -hmm. in here with me. Right. It's like th yeah. there was one, I, just this one, like, I wish I was like a Twitch streamer and I had a recording of this. I was on a little platform uh, and I was being chased by an enemy I shot an enemy in the face with the freeze bow, then rolled mm -hmm. off of the platform, double jumped up, shot the freeze bow to get the one who had chased me off the platform. And then I was using, I think it's like the assassin daggers or something. It's, it's a sword that pulls you forward when you swing it. And then I, mm -hmm. I attacked myself back onto the edge of the platform where the two enemies were frozen and murdered them. And I was like, nice. this is the way people who are really good at Smash Brothers must feel, where you're like, you're fighting <laughs> off the edge of the platform, and it's like the first person to make a mistake is going to die because we're off the edge of the platform. There's nothing to land on, right? I was like, there's just so many little moments where you like, you jump, you know, you like double jump off of a ladder and you're like already firing your bow or swing your giant sword or whatever. Like you, you jump up and you deploy a trap and then you like, you know, speed dash to the other side and like melee that guy while the trap is killing this other guy but then he gets away from the trap and then you murder him like he's trying to sneak up behind you like just so so much of that and i don't i don't think i'm particularly good at this game to be honest and like if the game could give me that feeling of like i am such a badass at my skill level people who can get all five boss cells and actually like get to the true ending it, it must be like totally bananas to watch the way they play because the character can get permanently more powerful, but only a little bit. Most of that improvement yep. came from me, the player, right? Like I started at a certain ability mm -hmm. level and I got to an ability level where I was like, I am enjoying being this character. Like I, this is satisfying to be in this world and just be hacking down enemies. Yes. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And, and that actually uh, brings me to one of the things that, that I definitely want to make sure that I touch on, but is one of the, and I don't know if it necessarily is a core aesthetic of the game, but one of the things that I definitely get out of the game is abnegation, right? So basically that is, you know, um, kind of game as pastime, right? But this is, it's really nice because basically I can just sit there and, you know, turn, turn on the game and then you just kind of get into a good rhythm of it where, you know, you, you get your skills, you get your loadout, whatever it is. And because, you know, the game forces you to get skilled at a varied 
number and type of loadouts, you get, you know, it eventually it kind of matters less and less what your loadout is. And they're all fairly intuitive. So, you know, as you're just kind of going through the game, you know, and you're you're pulling off like awesome stuff like that, where you know, like you throw an ice bomb down and that freezes a whole bunch of people, and then you throw the fire bomb down, so then that sets them all on fire. So then you roll away and you start attacking the other guy, you know, but then one of the guys had enough hit points to where he's, you know, you have to double back and deal with him. So you double jump over the rocket that he fired at you, and then you know, you you know, fire your arrow while you're still in the air and it takes care of that guy, and then that spawns fighters, so you know that that's gonna take care of the other thing. You know, just that that rhythm that you kind of get into, um, you know, is to me, it, I felt I fell into that rhythm so many times that I really feel that the, it, it can't have been an accident. And the two things that I think reinforce that is, as we mentioned, one, the game is timed. So it does force you to be conscientious of that. Right. You're always kind of like trying to move faster, you know, because if because there are distinct in-game rewards for being able to complete stages within a certain time limit, right? So you're trying to move quickly. And as you kill people, the more kill people you kill in succession, the more it boosts your speed, the faster you move. So basically what they do is they say like hit, hit AAB, 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 AAB. And so at first it's like hit AAB. You've got that? Good. Okay, now AAB. Now a little bit faster, a little bit faster a little bit faster, but because it, the speed is, and they don't draw a lot of your attention to it. They don't say like speed up, you know, they just, the game just slowly speeds up as you're playing to the point where, as you said, I was doing stuff with a reaction time that if you had just thrown it at me, I'd be like, I can't do that. But you know, cause it's slowly built over time. Yeah. The game really does an amazing job. Just kind of putting you in that almost like a uh, soft focused, that, you know, like fl- fl- Zen like state. state. Yeah. Exactly, which I think is in, incredibly difficult to design and achieve. And I think this game did it really well. well and I want to talk specifically about the, and I know we're running long, but it's interesting, so everybody shut up. Um, <laughs> I want to make sure we talk specifically about the incentive to move through a biome quickly because of the the timer unlock rooms in between. Mm-hmm. So their inclusion is interesting, but I want to start with a story. When I first started playing, I was being very cautious. I was really kind of trying to like feel it out and understand the world and understand the controls and everything. And then I was like, oh, there's these timer rooms. And one of them is, I think if you are in the 32nd, like you could be on any number of minutes, but if you're within the mm-hmm. 10 seconds between you know 30 and 40, it will unlock that door. You know what I'm talking about? I think mm-hmm. it's only after the first biome. Uh, after the first biome, and and I may be wrong on this, but it's the the room that says thirty mm-hmm. above it. Yeah, that's you have to kill thirty enemies without taking damage. Oh, okay. See that. So so they're incentivizing two different types of behaviors. One is playing well without taking damage because all of the biomes have you have to take kill X number of opponents without taking damage, and some of them have time based rewards. Right, so See, I, I never time. knocked on the door, and it would have told me what the the barrier to entry was. I never knocked on the door because it was right next to a timer door. So I just assumed, yeah, mm, yeah, no, because one time, man, I got both doors. It was like crazy. yes, yeah. So <laughs> here's the thing, I because because I was playing super cautiously and casually, well, not casually, but cautiously for sure. I didn't. Uh, realize that the 30 door was, you know, kill 30 enemies without taking damage. 
So the first time that that door opened, I was like, oh, did, did, did something go horribly wrong? Because I was like, I didn't finish it in 30 seconds. What I thought it was, was I was in the, I happened to be in the 30 second window, you mm-hmm. know, like 10 minutes and 32 right. seconds. And so I uh, went in there and I got like the best equipment I'd ever had because this was relatively early yep. in my playthrough. And I was like, oh my God, like, this is amazing. Like the the stuff that's in these rooms, like this is how you play the game. They want you to go as fast as possible. So you unlock the timer doors, you get the super equipment and that's how you make progress. And this is where I made my mistake because I was going (laughs) quickly for the wrong reasons because I I Mm. believe that when you first start playing the game, you should optimize for cell collection. And you do that by killing Mm -hmm. all of the enemies and going everywhere, right? And Mm -hmm. because the permanent upgrades, like the maximum amount of gold you carry over and the larger flask, like those upgrades matter. And so unlocking those relatively early in the game by getting as many cells as possible, as quickly as possible, I think is, or quickly, I think is the right Mm -hmm. way, at least for someone of my skill level to play a game like this. And then you can start hauling butt and trying to get through the timer doors if you want to. But once I understood the what those doors represented and what what my skill level as a player afforded me the ability to do. I actually went back to canvassing the entirety of every biome and I never looked back. I was like, I would Mm. rather go through, clear out everything, you know, get to the boss, get through the forge and then get the forge upgrades because that is mm-hmm. helping me based on my play style, which loadout I like to have. Like that was how I eventually made my way to beating the boss for the first time. And it, if that mechanic had been a little more obvious to me, and I'm not, I'm not saying this is the game's fault, but if that mechanic had been a little bit more obvious to me, like when you want to go for speed and when you want to go for thoroughness, I probably like my first like 20 runs would have felt more productive. Whereas instead I was just like, I'm never going to unlock these permanent upgrades. Cause I'm like hauling mm-hmm. ass to go all the way through and I get through the level and I have like three cells and then inside the room, right. I'm like, yeah, there's like the thing with 20 cells, but if you clear out the whole level, you might get 30, 40, 50 cells. Right. And, and so right. it just, it didn't really jive with my play style. So like the beginning of me playing the game was actually a lot of kind of frustration and confusion where I was like, I don't really know how to make, progress like i know this is a rogue light but i don't feel like i'm making any progress and then once i worked it out i was like oh, okay because this is what i should be doing for my play style and and then i made it work and it was fine but like there was a minute where i was like i i might bail on this game like this i don't i, I feel like i'm just doing the same thing over <laughs> and over and i'm not getting anywhere and then once you know the the curtain was raised it was great but the, there was a risky moment there where i i might have bailed there was a, a risky business moment. There was a moment where you were just in your underwear and, and you know, a dress shirt and all that good stuff. Um, well, anyway, so, I mean, that's kind of the bulk of, I mean, we, we, we could go on ad infinitum about, well, in almost any topic between the two of us. But that being said, certainly about this game. So, uh, so I don't know if you had anything that you absolutely want to make sure you wanted to touch on. Um, oh, yeah. Uh... Yeah, I, this this is just a thing that I think has to be said. Uh, the way you get the true ending of this game is unreasonably hard. <laughs> you, yeah, you, yeah, that's you a have fair to point. beat the game, and then you get a boss cell, mm-hmm. and then you have to beat the game on the harder difficulty, and you get another boss cell, and then 
four times so that you have five boss cells. You have to beat the game again, and then you can go on to the true final boss, which I watched a, a YouTube video of just someone beating the true final boss to see what it looked like. And I was just like, no, no, like, no, Th this is completely unreasonable. And in a, in a small way, I don't think that they really expect most players to get there. And, and this is actually how I'm going to segue into describing whether or not I think the game held up or, or learned from history rather is um, this game to me is more roguelite than it is Metroidvania. If you like mm -hmm. roguelites, uh, this is a phenomenal game. If you like platforming combat games, this is a phenomenal game. If you like Metroidvanias, it has some Metroidvania elements, some backtracker elements, and they're good. They're well applied. They add an interesting layer to the the roguelite elements. Um, I'm glad that they're there, but do not play this game if you're expecting Super Metroid or Castlevania Symphony of the Night. That's not what this is. That's not what it's trying to be. And it, it's more like inspired by, or it's it's like fusion cuisine, right? It's it is very much a roguelite with heavy combat emphasis. And it has some Metroidvania elements that are applied in really smart, really thoughtful ways. But you 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 come for the Metroidvania, you stay for the roguelite, right? You, you would yeah. if you try to do it the other way. I don't think you'd have a very good experience. So the reason I say that that matters is uh, a roguelite in my mind, and maybe this is just my skill level, is not a game you play to finish. It is a game you play, and at some point you stop. And yep. when I had that realization that I was just like, oh, I don't actually have to beat this game to have enjoyed it and to have wrung all of my joy out of it. I just have to stop playing before it's no longer like fun for me. And, and so yep. I basically got to that point literally right before we started recording because I got the closest to beating it on hard I've ever gotten. <laughs> I died catastrophically. And then I was like, okay, all right. Let's go record a podcast. Right, I, th good. I think I've seen all yeah. I needed to see here. Um, yes, I would agree with you. Um, so did it learn from history? Uh, I think so. Um, you know, I would definitely say that this is a good game. I would recommend that, that people pick it up. Um, I would also agree that so and we've we've kind of discussed this in brief where, where we, we, we've talked about um, uh, basically the what, you know, like how to name genres and the fact that genres are named after games is not ultimately very helpful because then if they do are not beholden entirely to everything that that game did then you could argue that it's not in that genre so that's not super helpful so you've um, kind of coined the term backtracker as a uh, uh, kind of a name for metroidvanias and i my my counter to that was that it's more of like an unfolding game you know that backtracking is an element of it but that you know you're given like a small a small world that slowly unfolds over time right and i think that that that's to me why the what, what you're the i think the reason why we're in two different camps here is because you like slash don't mind um the backtracking element of Metroidvanias. I, I like the bet hedging of like slash, you know, don't it like you don't want to blow your brains out over it, which is your opinion <laughs> creeping into assessing my opinion. 
Yeah, well, because that's because I can be that broad spectrum <laughs> because it does make me want to blow my brains out, and that's all. So I mean, I can give you the entire rest of the spectrum. You can have the whole house. You can have the whole fucking house because all I need is the blow your brains out room because that that shit <laughs> makes me want to blow my brains out. So all of that being said, is that you know. That's why, like, to me, the thing that I like about Metroidvania is, is I like the idea of a game that unfolds over time. Um, and this game does do that, you know, is that and so that's the element of Metroidvania that I actually enjoy. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this this game, in my opinion, absolutely held up it. Uh, if, if I had to put it into two different camps, you know, the um, the the go, you know, gohan super saiyan or gohan super saiyan 2 i would definitely say that you know this is a gohan super saiyan 2 level game so you uh you said uh that it held up and what you meant to say was did it learn from history so this run is dead we gotta do the whole episode over the curtain falls the music plays the credits roll then it all fades to black and you're left by yourself The fanfare is gone There's no player two There by your side to share victories won But as you slowly progress Down the hall to your bed A few great events Leak back into your head From the time that you spent Traversing the land Battling evil Fighting the darkness Just sword in hand Your memories creeping With the edge of a smile You realize again What you've lost for a while You're gonna think back much less On how you saved the day George. Hi, Lion.